Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers, where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. I'm Elliot Moss. Thank you so much for joining. Our guest today is Sam Hart, co-founder and chairman of Hearts Group, the restaurant group behind the critically acclaimed Barafina, Quo Vadis and El Pastor. Despite starting out in finance, Sam felt the call of hospitality following in his parents' footsteps and set up the Hearts Group with his brother Eddie back in 2003. Younger brother James has since joined as well. The Barafina restaurants where they serve quality Spanish tapas, my favourite, frankly, in London, at a bar where the chefs and waiters are working directly opposite you, famously introduced the no-booking policy to central London's restaurants and the risk continues to produce excited queues. Quo Vardis is a unique eccentric members club and a public restaurant in the heart of Soho in London. I actually knew Sam back in the late 90s when I, he and I were both in Mexico at the same time. It's really nice to see you after so many years. Hello. Well, and very nice to see you, Elliot. He hasn't changed, by the way. Sam is not old, but he didn't. He does look exactly the same, which maybe you were an old 20-something, and maybe you're just a young 40-something. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. I think it's my healthy lifestyle. That's so hair. Point. You've got hair, you see. <laughs> right, this is, uh, men of a certain age, like they, they just cherish the hair thing. Now, um, tell me a little bit about... Firstly, let's talk about the restaurants. How many have you got now? Uh, ten. Ish. Oh, sounds a lot, doesn't it? It's quite a few, I know. It's quite um, a few. And it started 2003 with Fino's, I think. Is that exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. And on yeah. Charlotte Street in 2003. Yeah. And then um, Barafina, early 2007. Quo Vardis, 2008. Couple more Barafinas, 14 and 15. Uh, El Pastor, 17, I think. And then um, we've just opened in Cold Drops Yard, the new... Um, Thomas Heatherwick and development in King's Cross. Um, four Bar- restaurants. Well, yeah, Barafina, I mean, two why, pastors. Why only open uh, one? I mean, you know, let's just do four at once. And how many extra people suddenly are in your business as a result? Uh, 180. That's so a lot like, in one yeah. go. So here we are. Suddenly, the, the, the man who I knew um, ran a little nightclub called El Comillo in Mexico. And you, uh, you'd gone to Mexico with a serious job. With a proper job, exactly. I was working for, um, for some money brokers, um, Harlow Butler, they were called, then. And... Um, they were opening offices all around Latin America. Um, and so they just, I was working for them in London. They said, look, we'll send you to the first, I wanted to work in Latin America. And they said, we'll send you to the first office we open, which just happened to be Mexico. Um, and I hated, um, hated money broking, loved Mexico City um, and stayed on. Yeah. And how did you manage? Because so then you're in this proper job, you leave the proper job, you start running the club. Yeah. Did you manage to survive on that? I mean, was that a proper, you know, I yeah, remember the club, well, it was a very cool place. The, the club, bizarrely, or rather miraculously, I suppose, um, actually was a reasonable success. I mean, it took mm. us a little while to get there, but, um, you know, but uh, back in the good old days, I lived in a, you know, for a 22-year-old, which is how old I was when we started the club, you know, it funded a, a pretty happy lifestyle. So it was it was It was didn't good. need that much. And you and you were working then with your friend, Crispin Somerville. Somerville, exactly. And Crispin is still, and now it's come full circle because now he's one of your key business partners. Exactly. So, so we did the club together in Mexico, which actually the club went on for a decade. I was just there for four and a half years, but it kept on going in my absence. And um, we've been talking for years about doing a Mexican restaurant in London. So sort of 15 years later, it came full circle and we yeah, started the Mexican thing. 
Was the Colmia business your first business, your yes. first sort of foray into being an entrepreneur? Exactly. exactly. And, and was it just because, well, I fancy it, was it, was it a bit more strategic than that at the time? No, there was no strategy at all. So <laughs> we, um, I didn't like the money-broking job. Uh, Crispin had arrived in Mexico City. He, he was meant to be going to Colombia to write a film script. And I was in Mexico. He then sort of changed his mind, fell in love with Mexico. And we were going, well, maybe we should do... Well, actually, we thought we were going to do a bar, is what it was. So we wanted to do... It was sort of um, 1996, 7, so Cool Britannia sort of time. And we thought we'd do cocktails and music. And then actually it sort of morphed into more of a nightclub, you know, and more into electronic music and, uh, than we originally intended, but, yeah. Not knowing what you were going to do when you... Well, you knew what you were going to do when you got there and it, it turned out to be not the thing you wanted... It strikes me, uh, Sam, that at 22, it's the perfect age to try stuff. Sitting here now, 22 years later, do you think if it hadn't have gone wrong in the serious job, you actually would have ended up in some sort of corporate parallel life? Or do you think you were always destined to just branch out and do your own thing? Yeah, it's a really good question. And actually, it's difficult to answer. I think, probably, I was always relatively entrepreneurial. So, yeah, I think so. Um, but it's... It's, you know, my father, was an, you know, works for himself as an entrepreneur, hotelier and restaurateur as well, actually. Um, so, I mean, that I, yeah. must have rubbed off on you a bit, though, because obviously it's, it's Hamilton Hall, isn't it? That's the... Exactly, yeah. And, and, well, I mean, I always said that I was going to have nothing to do with the restaurant business um, because I saw how hard he worked and mm. how difficult it was. Um, so, and then when we did the nightclub... Um, it was like, well, that's not a restaurant. It's much easier. It's just drinks. It's music. It's, it's nothing to do with hospitality. I'm or, nothing like my father. Not, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely not going to be doing that. And then, um, and then after four years in the club, um, business, you know, working nights and late and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, I always loved food. So I've been a passionate foodie all my life. The sort of food thing took over from, from the music nightclub sort of Thing. And was the food thing because I, I know you, you as a family used to go to, uh, I think it was Mallorca. Quite yeah, a lot. my mother grew up in Mallorca, so we've got the family house there, so we go on our holidays there. And and that food thing, is it because it started, I mean, it did start at home and because your mum was a great cook? Yeah, the... well, so my mother's a brilliant cook, my father's a good cook, but, you know, also he's um, had a Michelin style restaurant for 35 years, so, mm. um, and so, you know, we'd eat there, we'd eat in good restaurants. Um, eat very well at home, eat well when we travelled. So, you know, I, I had a sort of um, quite a spoilt restaurant upbringing, I'd say. And and in terms of the, the transition then from, OK, I'm up all night, I kind of have been doing this for a number of years, at what point did you decide you were going to leave Mexico? And was it because you wanted to get, quote-unquote, serious about things, or was it, again, just mm, happenstance? I, I think, like, after, after sort of four years in the in doing the nightclub, we were beginning to get, um, this my now wife and I, a slight burnout from... That sort of lifestyle. Well, actually what we thought is we wanted to come back to Europe. So we came up with the idea of trying to open a nightclub in Barcelona. So I went to Barcelona with, with, um, with Robin and um, we started about trying to find a suitable venue. But it became clear quite early that the, the Catalans had it all quite sewn up there and they weren't going to let two young English people come and start doing proper nightclubs in Barcelona. The licensing was all difficult and that sort of stuff. But in the meantime, because there wasn't really very much to do apart from occasionally going to look at a venue, I spent lots and lots of time shopping in the Boqueria and the other markets of Barcelona and eating out in Spanish restaurants and really developing my love of Spanish food and Spanish ingredients um, and Spanish restaurants. And then and then, what, you came back to the UK uh, in what year? Yeah, uh, 2001, two. And at that point, between then and when you actually set up the business and you opened Fino, your first restaurant, mm. Spanish restaurant, great restaurant as well, 
what were you up to? Were you just plotting and planning to make yeah, this? Yeah, so, uh, so what happened was is that we, I was messing around, not really getting very far in Barcelona, and my brother Eddie, who um, had always worked in hospitality, ran me up and said, look, why don't you come back? You're not clearly not doing anything there. Let's open a restaurant together. Um, so then the plot was hatched to do um, tapas in, in London. And in terms of uh, raising money and and finding the right place and all that, do you, more serious than the Comillor place, a more grown-up thing, yep. a lease on Charlotte Street, central London, wouldn't have been cheap, even if it was cheap then versus... Yeah, well, it was very difficult to get your hands on a central London lease because obviously the landlords want a proper covenant and two young boys, you know, first restaurant is not a very good covenant. So we spent about a year or something about a year trying to find the right site. We kept ringing up the agents and, and they just sort of say, yeah, well, we've got you know, a lovely restaurant property in Wimbledon or something. And it's like, uh, but we, we want to be in Soho. We want to be in central London. Like, no, 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 no. And then it was, I think it, it must have been just after the World Trade Centre attacks, I think, that the property market just came off the boil a little bit. Mm. People got were a bit nervous in the restaurant thing and just a couple of opportunities came our way. Uh, but if you remember, Fino is in a basement. Mm. Um, so, you know, which obviously we did, I mean, we wouldn't have chosen to be in a best basement for a restaurant, but that was the best we could do in central London. The opportunist is in front of me, Sam Hart. It's good, good to think about that as you think about your own business because it doesn't always come on a plate for you at all. Stay with me for more from Sam in a couple of minutes. But first, let's hear from one of our partners at Mishkondorea with some words of advice for your business. Hello, my name is Derville Walsh. I'm a partner in the contentious banking and finance practice at Mishcon Dorea. I specialise in banking disputes, predominantly working for borrowers or customers who have issues with their banks or difficulties with their banks. Two practical tips I would give to all customers who engage with their banks are one, firstly, when starting a relationship with a bank, uh, particularly when securing funding, it's absolutely critical for borrowers to get professional help, whether it's from accountants or lawyers, to ensure that the terms of any lending are not very, very disadvantageous from the borrower's perspective and advantageous from the perspective of the bank. A second tip I would give to all customers or borrowers dealing with banks is to take notes of all sorts of communications or any engagement with the bank. In some cases, people have good relationships with their relationship manager and it can be relatively informal. So a lot can be done on the phone. In any situation where the bank gives an undertaking or makes a promise and that is communicated by a relationship manager over the phone, that should be documented by the borrower slash customer so that if there is a situation in the future where there is a dispute about that, that record can be produced and it can remove all doubt as to what was or wasn't agreed. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. We've got Sam Hart in with me. He's co-founder and chairman of Hart's Group, the family restaurateurs. And if you were listening earlier, and I hope you were, you would have heard that it's important to be opportunistic. 2003, two young brothers want to set up a, a restaurant in London and there's two hopes of that happening, Bob and No Hope, and somehow or other they pulled it off. You, so it starts. You obviously have to build a team, uh, Sam. You haven't run a kitchen before, but you've obviously seen it in action. You've now got money to run. You've got front of house. You've got marketing. You've got the tsunami of things that come with running a business. Uh, in those early days, were you embracing that? Was it stressful? Was it just stressful because there's money at stake? I mean, what was going on emotionally? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. It's, I mean, opening a restaurant is, is always stressful. It's still stressful even all these years later. But in, in those days, yeah, I mean, getting it open 
is difficult because, you know, you raise the money and then it always costs more than you think it's going to and takes longer and you run out of money and then it all, you know, it gets, it always goes right down to the wire with, you know, having spent the cash and trying to open the doors and get the cash in through the till. So you've got that. And then, like you say, we didn't have a team um, at all. So we're working with all new people um, who didn't really know what they were doing, <laughs> um, including us, of course. So, I mean, we, we were lucky because we had a very good head chef which was a complete fluke. Somehow we found this guy who was a really excellent cook. Um, and so the food was always good. Mm. Um, Eddie, my brother, did have experience front of house, but not running his own restaurant and not 100-cover restaurant, not busy, you know, a busy restaurant. So, you know, for the first six months, it was all every service was really edge-of-the-seat stuff. You know, would it collapse into disaster and chaos or, you know, would you get through it? And I think because... <clears throat> You know, the food was good, and I suppose we probably got through it more times than we didn't. But, mm. you know, you didn't know <laughs> every service. It was but but the, the, and this, I think I've read somewhere you talk about, you know, if you've learnt one thing, it's that you need a really brilliant team because there's only so much that Sam and Eddie and now you yeah. really mainly here, and Eddie obviously is doing his own uh, related thing over in, um, I think it's, is he in Palma? In Palma, yeah. In Palma, yeah. Um, that team thing then... You, you strike me, and I remember you being, you're a relaxed guy, even if there's stress going on, you kind of hide it well. Have you learnt about how to manage people better, or are you just, I'm myself and this works? Um, no, no, no. Uh, so definitely I've got better at managing people. I, I think I was always reasonably good with people. But, um, you know, as you get older and more experienced, you, you, you learn, I think, how to get better at the things you're not naturally good at to start with. What are you not naturally good at? Uh, things like conflict, you know, I don't, I'm because, uh, um, like you say, I'm relaxed and easygoing, so I find, you know, difficult conversations hard to have. You know, um, being tough on people I find difficult sometimes, but I've got better at that over and, time. And, and it, but the other stuff, like running the business, like um, curating the menu, having a, a sense of what's going to work in the, in the market so you're in, it feels like you've got a good instinct on that front. I mean, most restaurants fail. You're 15 years in and touch wood and all the rest of the stuff, it's flying. Yeah, well, I think I'm, you know, being really greedy helps because <laughs> I'm obsessed <laughs> by food. Right. So, you know, and I think I've got a reasonably good um, idea of what tastes good and what people like. So, so yeah, but, um, you know, it comes from enjoying it myself, you know, mm. it's, um, and wanting to eat it myself and wanting to you know, consume what we provide. It's a miracle you've kept in shape. Stay with <laughs> me for more from my business shaper, Sam Hart. He's the co-founder and chairman at Hart's Group. They've got a bunch of really, really tasty restaurants. I'm slightly biased because I really love Spanish and Mexican food, having lived in um, both uh, those countries and those cultures. Lucky me. Time for more music. It's Jamie Cullum with Frontin. Don't wanna sound full of myself or rude But you ain't looking at no other dudes Cause you love me That was Jamie Cullum, slightly more thoughtful and fronting here on Jazz Shapers. And Sam Hart is my business shaper. Um, he's the restaurant man who's doing rather well. He's focused. I mean, that's the thing I want to talk about. Many, many restaurants, uh, as I said earlier, do not make the cut, um, especially independents. And we've, although now on the high street we see the demise, A, of the high street in general, it's it's going through seismic change, but B, the, the big multiples are not looking so hot. Where do you see the point of difference for you? I mean, how big is big? Is it is it is it about the quality and the type of food you're focusing on? Have you got aspirations to have fifty restaurants? What what's it what's driving you now? I mean, I suppose we're, we're mostly about quality because um, 
you know, which we're obsessed by. And we're in the lucky position that, you know, we've got a couple of um, shareholders, external shareholders who are not, you know, actively part of the business, but they've been with us since the beginning. They're long-term investors. So we don't have any venture capital. We don't have outside people, um, you know, banging on the door saying you need to do 20 restaurants next year because, you know, and so we can, means we can go at our own speed um, and we can do the projects we want to. Um, and I think, you know, whilst we can maintain the quality, um, you know, we, we'd be excited about doing new things. The moment it got to the stage where we thought we couldn't keep it, the standards as they are, we'd maybe think again. But for the moment, we seem to be holding the quality um, where we want it to be. And it strikes me you must like the freedom because to be able to set up four different named restaurants in the new project in King's Cross mm. in London, Coal Drops Yard, um, which was the original place where, indeed, coal was dropped. If anyone's not seen it, you should go. It's an incredible... I mean, the new place is incredible, but just the site is extraordinary in King's Cross and what Argent, the developers, have done there is, and Camden have done is brilliant. But in that space, is the fun of it that it's just new? Is the fun of it that you'll just you go, I created that? I mean, where does the buzz come as you... Yeah, there's a huge satisfaction from, you know, creating. So you start off with, a you know, a brick shell with nothing in it and um in, in cold drops yard it was a sort of two-year project the whole thing so it was a sort of long time getting put together and the satisfaction of seeing it um you know come to life be busy for, for the quality be to be where we want it to be um mm. people enjoying themselves is, is 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 a great pleasure and is the biggest buzz the fact the food tastes fabulous is the biggest buzz that you have a new concept when you launch el pastor what is it as you, if you think about it honestly when are you at your well the, the very best buzz for the restaurateur is walking into the room and looking around seeing lots of happy people having a nice time in your restaurant and that that is the food, of course, but it's also the service and the ambience and, and you know, the how it makes you feel because um, a restaurant experience is about a lot more than just food. I mean, we, we're obsessed about food. It's very, very important to us, but it's it's not just food. It's, it's about hospitality. It's about atmosphere. It's about service. We're welcome, you know, all that sort of stuff. And how do you get people to, to your team to deliver that? Because you're absolutely right. And of course, it's also about how comfortable the chair is. It's, a, it's about mm. the way the table looks. It's about little things, I imagine, like the glassware. I mean, all those things make a difference are you all over that personally uh yes yes um you know my brother james who now works with us is 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 also well, I mean, we, we all are actually um and you're right it's those minuscule details that you as the customer probably don't even really notice but actually you, subliminally you are picking all of that up so so yeah every tiny thing makes a difference and just on the people thing what is the the, the yeah. one most brilliant way of ensuring that that human being which is representing your restaurant mm. as someone walks in what do they need to hear from you to ensure they behave well, the way I you want to? Well I think it's a cultural it is a cultural thing so once you've got a restaurant culture established you know a waiter leaves and a new one comes in and there's just a way things are done in the restaurant so they look at their peers and people are smiling and they're being friendly and they're you know there's a sort of feeling of hospitality and they go okay that's what i meant to do and they, it, then but establishing the culture is 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 difficult and take time it does take time and i suppose that we're lucky in that because we've been doing it now for 16 years or whatever it is um you know we've got quite a lot of people through down through the business who you know who are our culture um which makes it easier to when when you're opening something new for that culture to be um taken forward stay with me for my final chat with uh sam plus we'll be playing a track from sunny rollins that's up in just a moment jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with mish
It's business, but it's personal. was Sonny Rollins with the upbeat Don't Stop the Carnival. Uh, Sam Hart's my business shaper just for a few more minutes. He's been having a fun old time for quite a long time since his mid-twenties and long may it continue. Talk to me a little bit about um, the money bit. We haven't talked about that at all. Obviously you have a a business now which is growing. Um, It doesn't strike me that you're motivated by the money because you talked about quality, you talked about being a massive foodie, you talked about obviously the, the whole passion for serving and that happiness as you walk through the restaurant and all that what role does the money play for you yeah i mean you know obviously we are actually we're also quite serious business business, we are a business it needs to make money and you know every year we try and make a bit more money than than the last so you know we we're about a cap we're about capital growth so we're trying to you know rather than make short-term profits add long-term value to the to the business our idea is to sort of keep going slowly only open in really amazing prime locations, um, not overstretch it, not compromise on quality, and go about it in a slightly different way. Now, you talked earlier about the private equity guys, and they're not there. It's your money. You've also done, done a, a, a crowdfunding. Yeah, exercise. so we did crowdfunding for King's Cross. Um, and, and why did you do that? What was it? That you, did you need working capital to make that happen, uh, well, or was it something else? Um, you know, we needed to raise money f- to, to build King's Cross or build the Barafina part of King's Cross. Um, and you, there's obviously various different ways you can go about trying to find it. And a friend of ours had done a crowdfund, which had been successful. Um, we thought, okay, well, maybe we just, let's think about this. And actually, the more we thought about it, the better idea it was, because um, it's a really amazing way of engaging with your core audience. So I think we had about a 1,000 subscribers or something like that to our crowdfunding thing. So we've now got a 1,000 brand ambassadors mm. who've bought into the the restaurant they like. What one do they as, get? One assumes uh, shares. Oh, they do. Yeah, yeah, they get shares, and they also get perks as well. So they get free drinks every time they come on, come in, and if you know on a higher level, they got you know free private dining or membership to Covadis and Bremers Club, and this, this, that, and you know. So you get quite a lot of perks, um, which hopefully suit them, but also suit us too. So you know, if someone gets a, a free drink every time they come and dine, obviously it's nice for them because they get the drink. It's nice for us because they're coming to eat. So it's a sort of symbiotic relationship that hopefully works well. Um, and you, you saw, raised, you raised. Over two million, yeah, quid, two and a bit million. But so. you wanted seven hundred and fifty grand, which again says a lot about how excited people got about this. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a, it was a one of my great days in business. Actually, <laughs> I'd gone I'd gone cycling around Richmond Park, and my um, little bike computer is on my text message things. So we were getting updates. We launched at eight a.m. or something like that, and. Um, by the time I'd finished going around Richmond Park at 10, we'd got to the 7.50 yeah. in two hours before I'd made it into the office. It's like, you That's <laughs> amazing. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So, so what happens next, Sam? Because we, we're going to have to wrap up pretty shortly. For you, though, is it going to be steady? She goes yeah. opportunistic, yep. take those prime sites and stick to the quality. That's it. Um, so, you know, um, steady as she goes. We've obviously opened four restaurants four weeks ago slightly so, broken your own so there. There's, yeah. plenty, there's, there's plenty there's plenty of settling down and tweaking and making sure they get to the level that we want them um, to be but you've got you, um, you're still you, you still love it and you're young I mean you are now you're a veteran of the industry and you're not you know you're in your mid 40s yeah, <laughs> yeah he's thinking how much longer am I have to do it for I mean but that's a, a serious point the, rest, the restaurant business as you said is hard it looks like you still enjoy it even though it's hard 
Yeah, I mean, we're lucky because our restaurants um, are, are busy and that means we can, you know, it's that the stress is less. You know, if you've got plenty of customers coming in through the door, you know, those financial pressures. I mean, but it's, it's, it's got harder and harder and harder. Everything's against restaurants at the moment. You know, we've got rents and wages and too much competition and collapsing pound. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, the, the storm that restaurants are facing at the moment. Um, and we are in the lucky position that we're still really busy and so can do okay, but it's, um, it's tough. Keep going. It's really nice to see you again after all these years. Um, uh, thanks very much for being a guest. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Yeah, so we've got um, Bonito y Sabroso from um, Benny Murray, um, which reminds me, takes me back to Mexico and our, our times together in Mexico. I thought it'd be a nice, nice tune to play. <laughs> That was Benny More with Bonito y Sabroso, the song choice of my business shaper today, Sam Hart, reminding me of our time together in Mexico, brief as it was many years ago. He's gone on to brilliant things since then based on his love of food, based on his understanding you need to be opportunistic, a really important message. Important also to establish the culture in a restaurant business, make sure that people understand what the drill is. And as he's expanded, he's he's keeping it steady, steady as she goes, as he said. And finally, making sure he focuses on the prime sites, the importance of property in his business could not be underestimated. All really good stuff. That's it from Jazz Shapers. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.